Research for what? Hello and welcome to Research for What, the podcast that discusses scientific research, its purpose and impact. I'm your host, Ron Bouvray. Each week, I will interview recognized thought leaders who share the same passion for science and research and invest the energy, time or money. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities for research. I'm also very keen to find out how experts define impact and what methods they use to measure it. Every week, I will ask the question, research for what? In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. David Kershaw, Chief Science Engagement and Impact Division in Defence Science and Technology, an agency of the Australian Department of Defence. Defence Science and Technology, or DST, provides science and technology support for Australia's defence and national security needs. It's based in Canberra, counts approximately 2,300 employees, and has an annual budget of approximately $450 million. I'm very pleased to discuss the role of defence, science and technology with Dr. Kershaw, because I believe it is largely unknown for many members of the community in academia or industry. Dr. Kershaw studied physics and electrical and computer systems engineering, and has a very strong experience in undersea combat systems and maritime operations. Dr. Kershaw, welcome and thank you very much for talking with me today. Rom, it's a pleasure. Defence Science and Technology recently launched More Together, the Science and Technology 2030 Strategy for Defence. Can I start by asking you, why do we need science and technology? Rom, that's a a great question. And if I actually quote our Minister for Defence, Innovation, Science and Technology are important enablers for national prosperity and security and are supported by substantial investment from the current Australian government. We live in a very uncertain time. The world is changing rapidly around us. Australia lives in a unique part of the world and we have our own unique challenges. It is absolutely critical for safeguarding the safety of Australia and our national interests in the future that we have a strong sovereign science and technology capability that ensures that our Australian Defence Force has the best equipment, the best people and the best tactics, training and procedures to get its job done. We've actually had this role for a long time and I can give a a few examples. Sure. Not many people are aware that the black box flight recorder that is part of every air crash investigation was actually developed by one of our predecessing agencies in 1953 out of our Fisherman's Bend site in Melbourne. Other Activities that people might have heard of, the Jindalee Over the Horizon Radar Network, which has been around since 1972 and looks very much at our surveillance to the north of Australia, started from some of our high atmosphere research in the 1950s. More recently, we've, we had a Black Canary personal multi-agent detector. This is about having individual soldiers equipped to detect chemical agents if they're going into a battlefield. That was done in 2014. And we played a very strong role in the Middle East, delivering protection against counter-improvised threats. And this was our Red Wing or Silver Shield systems, which actually was a great example of us doing some innovation with a small company and then building thousands and thousands of units that were used by ourselves and other forces in the Middle East. So there's some of the challenges Australia have, some examples of where we've used science in the past and going into the future, having a strong science and technology expertise focused at solving defence problems is critical for the safety of Australia. Do you think the world is more volatile? Do we need more innovation now than we we used to? I think the fundamental change in science and technology now compared to even when I was a young scientist 30 years ago 
is that the commercial world is really driving most, if not all, of the technological change. And certainly technology is evolving and emerging at a rapid rate. So from a science point of view and technology point of view, we absolutely are in a world that is changing rapidly and we need to be keeping up with that world to understand what it means for us and what we're doing. So is, is the role of defence science and technology to support Australia's defence only? Some of the examples you cited have an implication in the civilian world or the commercial world. So what is the role of Australia's defence? Our role, first and foremost, is actually as the Defence Science and Technology Group, and therefore we are supporting the Australian Defence Force. And when we're talking about supporting the Australian Defence Force, we're supporting the current fleet, i.e. the people, the soldiers, sailors and air crew that are in the field today. We're also supporting what is coming next in the fleets. So there's a lot of messages in the news about the Naval Shipbuilding Program. We are very much part of that delivering science. And we're also looking further ahead at what we could might call Horizon 3 research about what is coming in the future and what does that mean for our fleet of 40 to 50 years' time. Obviously, in a lot of areas, we are playing in technologies that have dual use, i.e. they're both defence and civilian technologies, and they're technologies in which we very much look to team with uh, the non-defence sector to build our knowledge of the technology together. I think a lot of people in industry and academia don't know the work that you do in, in defence science and technology. I'd like to ask you, how do you think different the research is? Is it that different from the research we do in academia or is it very different from the research done in industry? The work we do in DST is probably more closely aligned to industry in terms of that we're looking for outcomes to support business rather than what would often be characterised as research for the goal of in, in expanding the knowledge base. We live somewhere in between. Certainly ourselves, and I must say the, uh, we're part of 20,000 public service scientists by the time you look at all the public funded research agencies such as CISRO, ANSTO, the Australian Institute of Marine Sciences, Geosciences Australia, I could go on on that list. What we're doing in the publicly funded uh, research agencies is focusing on the science outcomes that are required for government and therefore Australia to do what Australia needs to do to prosper. So that's how we do differ from the academic and to some extent industry. In doing what we do, though we have very strong partnerships with industry and academia and the PFRAs that I just talked about, and I'm very happy to explore that further on. Yeah, that'd be great. So can we talk about yeah, movements of people between defence, industry and academia? Do people move around a lot or do you, and when, when do you recruit researchers? Uh, that is that is a uh, very key comment for us at the moment and a passion of both myself and our Chief Defence Scientist, Professor Tanya Monroe. Professor Monroe herself is an example of someone who has come from outside defence to join us uh, just over 12 months ago right. as the Chief Defence Scientist. Yeah, she did have a long history with us and has actually been worked closely with us for about the last 15 years. But we typically recruit people as graduates or after they've done their PhDs. But one of the things that we have in our organisation is that if we keep people for five years, we are usually then handing them a 30 or 40 year long service award. One of the things that we've been trying to encourage over the last several years is more mobility between ourselves and university, ourselves and industry, because this is the only way that we see that we can really strengthen what we are looking at now as the Australian defence S&T enterprise. 
of which DST is just one small part. So it is often said that researchers who engage in academia want to make a difference to the world. It, can you say the same, or would you say the same for researchers within defence science and technology? I would absolutely say the same. In fact, I might even go stronger than that and say that we actually do play very strongly on a world front. One of the areas that uh, Defence Science and Technology works in is a partnership with New Zealand, Canada, the United Kingdom, the United States, which is called the Technical Cooperation Program, or TTCP. This is a program that has been around for over 50 years in which we work closely with our our sister institutes in those countries on problems of mutual interest. Personally, I've also had the experience of leading for many years our participation in joint development programs with the US in, in supporting our submarines. At one stage, I had had more trips to one part of the US than I've been to anywhere else in the US and built a very strong relationship with what is a world-leading capability that is at sea in both the Australian and US submarines. If that's not having a world impact, I don't know what is. Right, right. So, so you mentioned global engagement and global collaboration. DST is part of an Australian department. How does that fit within global stage and probably global challenges? Are we close? Are we only looking at um, supporting Australian defence or is that a much more global effort? In delivering our programs, we actually look at how can we work with our, our, our friends and partners for mutual benefit. In the modern world, uh, there are certain capabilities which are very expensive, whether that be a particular test range or a, say a, a blast chamber that we need for doing explosives testing. And we have a number of areas where Australia has some unique capabilities. Some of our regional partners have unique capabilities and our, our, our traditional partners also have unique capabilities. And we put programs of mutual interest together to deliver outcomes. As an example, we have a hydrodynamics program, which is that's, that's about how do ships and submarines move through the sea, where there's a particular facility called a cavitation tunnel, which is critical to doing this research. Australia has an absolute world-class small cavitation tunnel at the Australian Maritime College in Launceston. But for the last four or five, four or five years, we've actually been partnering with our sister organisation in Japan who have access to a much larger tunnel. But what it means is that we're putting dots on that scientific curve at different points of the curve for our mutual interest. And we do similar things in a lot of our programs with our partners across the world. But in doing that sort of partnering, it's also just as important that we are partnering inside Australia. Is that partnering influenced by political forces at all, or is that independent? It's pretty much independent from. Uh, um, we have the task to deliver the S&T program for defence. And in doing that, we have a program that is much bigger than the, the 2,300 people that we have in DST. So it is an absolute enterprise approach. And in doing that enterprise, it is about what are we doing with industry? And we currently have part strategic alliances with uh, most of the significant players in the defence industry. And we have some key alliances with small companies such as CEA Radar in Canberra, who make a very innovative radar, and other key, key small players in, in Australia. We also have partnering agreements with all 37 publicly funded universities. And that, that partnering is done at a strategic level in most cases down to really key interactions with universities that have had niche world-class capabilities. 
Similarly, we are increasing our cooperation with the publicly funded research agencies. And one of my roles as our Science Engagement Impact Division Chief is to be that lead interface with places such as the Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organisation, so SORO, and we're looking at how can we actually work better together with SORO on a number of technologies where they're obviously looking at commercial aspects and we're looking at defence aspects, but the underlying research that needs to be done is common. So that's really interesting. Maybe we can talk about funding very briefly. Is all your funding from government? Uh, yes, we, unlike, unlike SORO, we are a fully funded government entity and um, that has us focused on delivering outcome for defence. And that's not to say we don't actually try and support the industry partners as well, and that's part of what we do with our industry alliances, is work on areas that are of common interest. As an example, we've had an alliance with, this, with what is now just called ASC, that started it as the Australian Submarine Corporation, where if there are issues that they're trying to work through and there's a scientific aspect to them, we have our scientists working side by side with the ASC engineers to resolve a problem. And there's been a number of uh, in-service issues that have been addressed in that and certainly looking at how do we actually, as the submarines get older, how do we actually work to keep them operating at their most effective capability as they mature. So that's an example where we're working with other agencies. We are block-funded for our staff and keeping the, the labs open, but we also work with the rest of Defence to say, what is the science program that is needed for instance, to bring the future submarine into service is an example where we have a large science program that is receives additional funding as part of that program. Or in other cases where there are problems with the fleet at, at sea or at, uh, on the airbase, corrosion is an ongoing issue for any, anybody, let alone a military body, and we work closely with the, uh, the in-service engineers inside Air Force and Army and Navy to help address and maintain our focus on keeping corrosion as an example at bay. Can you tell me more about how these partnerships are established? Do you go and find new partners or do partners come to you? In most cases, it is a little bit of both. As I said just before, we now have a a partnering agreement with uh, all 37 public universities. The beauty of that public, that strategic partnership agreement is it allows us to put put uh, research agreements in place very quickly with a common set of guidelines so that we can be quite adaptive. What we are always looking for with the university space is what are the world-class capabilities and what are the niche capabilities that the universities bring to the table because Australia has a lot of fantastic expertise in the universities, much of which actually we can work with quite closely. And often we work with universities in, in the unclassified space some of which we are quite happy to publish, some we mightn't be as happy to publish, and then we bring that work into our domains and if it has to go into a classified domain, we do that translation into classified domain. In the industry space, there's a relatively small number of defence prime industries and we're all known to each other and we partner with all of them. In the small to medium enterprise, we do a little bit of knowing what some people are up to. We're also quite open for people to come and talk to us and go, hey, we'd really like to get into a partnership with you at which stage we do the normal sort of due diligence that anyone would do about whether or not this partnership is worth pursuing. Academic research might aim at creating new knowledge, and that's often through publications in scientific journals, industries, startups might want to make money. Uh, The goal of the DSD is obviously quite different. How do you get people to come to the table, work together, if these outcomes are so different? 
as with any partnership, Rom, they'll only work if it's win-win. And that win-win comes in different forms. With our industry partners, it is really focused on what is important for that particular industry partner in terms of their own product lines going forward. And in many ways, when we're working with our industry partners, it's usually not so much sitting helping them improve an existing product, but it's looking at what technologies are important into the future for them. And then if we have a mutual interest in that technology, then we will quite happily partner for that reason. In the academic sector, what, we've, what we have been finding is that for many of the academics we work with, what they enjoy out of working with defence on or working with DST on is that it actually enables them to be working on problems which have a clear path to having impact and having real impact on Australia. So that, that's very interesting as well. How do you measure the, your, your, your outcomes or your impact? Is that, it is obviously a big part of your role. How do you do that? I find quotes like, you know, future-proofing of the ADF, is that, is that, that's a very vague quote. What are we really trying to achieve? Do you have short-term goals, long-term goals? What are they? That's a, that's a highly topical question, Ron. And in fact, we uh, are currently working on a benefits framework for how do we measure and report on the benefits of that longer-term research. Some of your audience may be aware of a fund that was announced in the 2016 Defence Wife paper called the Next Generation Technologies Fund, which is really about investing in those future technologies that are critical for Australia. And some of these technologies might take a number of years, if not a decade, to start getting anywhere, a decade or two, to start getting anywhere near service. So that becomes difficult to say, where should we invest? And a lot of that becomes our best judgment and talking with our, our military partners around where are the gaps and what can technology do to address those gaps. When we become closer to being in service, whether that is in the fleet that's being acquired or whether that is the the fleet that is actually currently in service, impact is a little bit easier to measure. Uh, for example, impact, and I'm trying to think of a, a unclassified example that I can talk about easily, impact might be something such as the work that was done over the past few years to assist with uh, one of our ships that was having a, a number of issues. We end up with a number of our specialists working closely with Navy to identify the issues sort out what the root cause was and then help identify a path to getting the problem rectified and the ship back in service. So that's one where we have a very clear measure of impact. It's about getting that outcome to get the ship back into service. When we're looking in the mid-range, it can be anything from undertaking the analysis to assist with decision-making. So your impact there is that the government is then able to make the best value for money decision based on, on evidence through to doing items such as qualifying the steel that is used for the future submarine. So we had a team that has done quite a, look, a lot of work looking at the steel was being selected and making sure it was up to the quality required for, for that application. So we have a, a wide range of technologies ranging from naval architecture to lots of material science into lots of work around acoustic signatures, non-acoustic signatures such as radar and optical cross-sections into, into signal processing, radars, sonars, cyber. 
operations analysis, human factors, how well does the human operate? And obviously, for each of those sciences, the way you measure impact is a little bit different. But at the end of the day, it is about how are we supporting government to make the right decisions? How are we supporting the ADF to be more effective in how they operate? Or how are we supporting them to be more survivable in how we operate? And I, I don't think that's a challenge that's specific to defence research. I think you know, all, all research and researchers need to make choices and, and think about the impact that they may have and may in fact have to justify what, they, what they're doing. How competitive is defence or military research? Is it like academic research where you have, do you have a lot of groups working on solving corrosion? Are there many groups in the world? Are you trying to be the first ones to develop capabilities? How competitive is it? Within the, the allied environment, it's not competitive. It's actually about how do we help each other. Yes. And in often, often we are looking at, for especially for a country, the medium-sized country such as Australia, if we can work closely with a close, with a close ally and we do part of the problem and they do part of the problem, then that's win-win. So the competitiveness in the defence research world is not so much with our allied partners, but the competitiveness is trying to understand where other people are and ensuring that we either understand where they are or our technology is a step ahead of someone else's technology. So it's a different type of competition in the world. It's not the competition to publish. It's the competition to make sure that our people that are in the field fighting any future conflict, the best equipped they can be and therefore can win and fight, fight and win and come home again. If defence research benefits people fighting in the field, there is no fighting in Australia. So the, the benefits are way beyond our borders. Is, can you comment on that? It's actually about having our strategic place in the world and... A defence force is actually a deterrence force. The last thing any defence force wants to do is actually fight. But what you're in place to do is go, you don't really want to come and talk to us or you don't really want to come and invade us or do whatever you're wanting to do. So it's about ensuring that we have the abilities to protect Australia from any threats that Australia might be subject to. And, in fact, if we can fight without fight, if we can win without fighting, then that's absolutely what you want to do. And if you look at, say, the US and their carrier task groups, that's about presence. Do you really want to take on a US carrier group? So it is, a, it is part of the strategic armoury that any country has to protect its sovereign interests. Does DST have everything it needs to perform its mission? Uh, the straight answer is we don't have everything we need. <laughs> we are, we are 2,300 people and covering a massive span of technologies in a world where some of these technologies are expensive and difficult to work on or that there's always more to be done. So this is where our new defence strategy, More Together, Defence Science and Technology Strategy 2030, is about doing more together so that we actually are linking in with the people we need to do, to link in with to achieve the outcomes we need for Australia. A key point in that is that uh, we have a lot of ageing infrastructure be this wind tunnels, be this ability to do some of our radar testing. I could go in a number of areas. So we're actually increasingly looking at how do we actually join with universities in particular for having test facilities that we can use part of the time and that the universities can use another part of the time and thus share the, share the infrastructure cost because we're, we are a, a, a medium-sized country and we don't have a need for the full-time use of some of the facilities that, say, a United States might have. 
So we're, we are increasingly looking at how do we have access to that infrastructure. A case in point, in the maritime domain, we've had an, a relationship with Australian Maritime College in Launceston for over 25 years. I talked about the cavitation tunnel they have earlier. We have done a lot of work at helping develop that cavitation tunnel and having it up to the point where it does some specific things that we need. And we've got a lot of joint publications out of it and really the, the team at, at, at AMC is, in some cases, is a really key partner and part of our team. And they've got some other facilities that we've used and helped develop over time. So that's an example where the facilities live elsewhere in Australia. We make use of them at the appropriate level. And we have some other examples of that. So what we are looking at for us is not so much do we need to own infrastructure and own capabilities, it's more we have to have access to capabilities. And we've got a number of university research groups that are really the, the fundamental part of our research program that we've built up over time and have a great relationship with. And is that part of the 2030 strategy more together? It absolutely is. Partnering is fundamental to what we're trying to do. Uh, that is a challenge for a lot of scientists because we are, we are used to as scientists and engineers going, this is what I'm trying to do. But really, in the modern world, the real problems that need to be beaten require multidisciplinary and often multi-organisational teams to, to get to the heart of the problem. And more together is about being explicit about what we need to put together to do the big problems. And as part of our strategy, we've actually identified eight star shots, science, technology and research shots, that help focus where we're putting our forward-looking research, whether this be in, in items such as remote undersea surveillance or how do we find a submarine in that massive amount of water that is around Australia. How do we do position navigation and timing in a world where there's no GPS? If you look at the situation that uh, is reported often, what, what would, how would the world operate if GPS fell down? How would your phone operate? So we're looking at what, is, what might we do with quantum-assured position navigation and timing. Or another topical, another topical uh, star shot is our operating in chemical, biological and radiological and nuclear nuclear environments? How do we operate safely in those type of environments? These are all big challenges in which we don't own all the technology, nor do we even profess to own, want to own all the technology. It's what we do with our partners in addressing these challenging problems is what will really help drive solutions that are best for Australia and their partners. I'm conscious that I have taken a lot of your time, but I'm very, very grateful. I've gained such a good insight into what defence research is, what it means, the impact it can have, and obviously the willingness to have to develop new partnerships. David, I thank you very, very much for your time. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Research for What. To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week. Research for What.